0: Hey, what's up guys? Welcome to the Honest Youth Pastor YouTube channel, the channel that helps believers use biblical discernment in all aspects of life. Today, we are going to be doing that yet again through a sermon review. We're going to be looking at a pastor by the name of Kevin Wallace, not Kelvin Wallace, but Kevin Wallace from Redemption uh, Redemption to the Nations Church. I'm not actually sure where this church is located in the States, but it is somewhere in the States. And today we're going to be looking at a sermon by... Pastor Wallace. Now, one of the things that you need to know before we get into this sermon review is, well, there's three things. The first being, if you want to watch this entire sermon without me talking, you can do that. Link will be in the description below along with a number of other links down there that I would encourage you to check out, but you can check out that one for sure. If you want to start where the sermon starts, it is a two hour and 26 minute long service. The sermon starts at one hour and 24 minutes into it. That's where we'll be starting. Secondly, you need to know that when we look at these sermon reviews, we look at three specific things. Firstly, we look at do they read the text? Secondly, we look at do they use context and culture to exegete the text so that application can be brought out? And thirdly, do they preach the gospel of Christ? It's a low bar, right? But sometimes we don't hit that bar. Sometimes we soar far over that bar. Today, I don't know where we're going to get because uh, the third thing is in full disclosure. I haven't watched this sermon. I have not watched this sermon. So I don't know what we're getting into. It's basically as if the patron that suggested this invited us to redemption to the nation's church and said, you need to come here, Pastor Wallace. And so you, I, and everyone else are sitting down in this service to listen to this sermon. Let's go ahead and go over to uh, the reaction screen here, and we're going to get right into it again. Just a reminder uh, if you are not subscribed, go ahead and subscribe. If you uh, haven't hit that notification bell, make sure you hit that notification bell. And go ahead and like the video, right? It, it, not necessarily right now. We're at the beginning. But go ahead and like the video at some point if you find this helpful. So I think we've said all we need to say about that. Let's go ahead and hop into the sermon and see where uh, Kevin Wallace takes us in the well, I don't even know what passage we're in. Let's let's go ahead and let him talk, right? Let the man preach. Hold on. Apparently I do not have the sound on for him. All right, here we go. Sorry about that. I'm I'm running a professional I mean, we we've got a professional thing going on over here, right? I mean look at all the bells and whistles All right, here we go. let's see if this works now let's get him on
1: i know many of you have been reaching out to the family to let them know you love them and are praying for them but this coming friday at 2 p.m here in the church sanctuary we will be having a celebration of life and the family wants you all to be a part of that if you can luke chapter five i will continue this morning this thought that i began last week on increasing spiritual capacity
0: Look at your neighbor. So what we want to do is look at Luke chapter five. All right. That's the thing. If, as soon as they mention the text, we want to make sure we bring the text up and that we, um, where's my Bible up? Here we go. Luke chapter five is where we're going to be. So this is Jesus calling the first disciples. Um, so this is where we'll be. Let's see how he intros it.
1: Neighbor and say neighbor. Uh-huh, uh huh. Y'all had to break the Presbyterian off of y'all. Um, <laughs> Talk to them like you have the Holy Ghost and say, neighbor, God, (laughs) say God is going to increase your spiritual capacity. Tell them this year, I declare greater, mind, body, soul, and spirit, every area of your life greater Tell them like you believe it. Greater is on the way.
0: Stretch it. All right, so we know that this is probably a charismatic Pentecostal church, is my guess. Just by, I mean, I don't know, we'll see. But that's, that's kind of the flavor I'm getting. Definitely not Presbyterian, because he had to shake the Presbyterian off. Let's Lord do it. Luke chapter 5, verse 1.
1: And when you have it, say amen. So it was as the multitude pressed about him to hear the word of God. That he, Jesus, stood by the lake of Gennesaret and saw two boats standing by the lake. But the fishermen had gone from them and were washing their nets. And he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's. And he asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the multitudes from the boat. And when he had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. But Simon answered him and said to him, Master, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, nevertheless. How many really thankful that when you hear the voice of God, it is nevertheless, all the more. Nevertheless, at thy word, I will let down the net. And when they had done this, they caught a great number of fish and their net was breaking. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled the boat, filled both the boats so that they began to sink When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the great catch of fish which they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with, say partners. Come on, say partners. Partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will catch men. Lord, have mercy. This entire story is about what he's going to do for them in this story so
0: that it shapes their future. Don't miss that. Okay, hold on. He said the entire story is uh, here. Hold on. This story was about stretching these men of God
1: because he knew what was going to happen in their life in the future. Can I...
0: So the entire story is about stretching the disciples to prepare them for their future is what he's saying, which may not be totally off. I'm just thinking back to Luke one, where he writes about, you know, oh, excellent, Theophilus, I've compiled an account for you so you can trust in all the things that you have heard and believed. Right. So the letter of Luke specifically and everything contained in that account uh, is there for the purpose of shoring up what Theophilus has already heard. Like, yeah, we, to benefit from it, clearly, I mean, clearly we we read it, and we also are able to read and trust in the account of Christ based upon the eyewitness accounts that Luke then gathers for Theophilus. And then he does the same thing in the Acts of the Apostles, gathering eyewitness accounts uh, to the what happens in, you know, basically after the resurrection and ascension uh, and, the, and at Pentecost when the Holy Spirit falls. So like we have Luke being um, the gospel and the account of uh, eyewitnesses to all of these things. So really what we have in Luke 5 is eyewitness accounts to the calling of the disciples. So it's not that the story in Luke 5 can't be about the stretching of the disciples to pre- prepare them for what is to come. It's primarily an eyewitness account to shore up Theophilus' faith, though. Like, Jesus did call these men. These are the apostles that he called, right? Um, That that, that would seem like that would be the primary purpose of Luke 5, is to say, like, hey, Jesus called them, and this is the manner in which he called them, and you can have faith that these men were called by him, so what they um, are saying is true about who Jesus is and what he's done, right? Because by the time you get to Luke's account, and, Uh, Theophilus learning about it, like you have, you know, the apostles would be known. Um, So that would be the primary purpose. So I'm not saying that it can't be about stretching them. I'll be interested to see where he goes with that. I don't think it's the primary purpose, given Luke chapter 1 and the setup of what that says. But let's see where he takes it. tell you whatever god is doing in your life right now
1: and you feel like it's unbearable and you can't take it and oh god i'm being stretched if he's stretching you right now it's because he sees something coming in your future and you got to be ready for it oh look at your neighbor tell him we're not going to miss it we're not going to miss it
0: so he did just make that about us briefly but let's see if that continues
1: lord have mercy And Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid from now on, you will catch men. So when they brought their boats back to land, they forsook all and followed him. Jesus, help me teach today and help them receive it. Amen. You can be seated in the presence of God. I told you last week um, that you stop where you stop. And this is not the year to stop where you usually stop or stop where I usually stop. This is the year to go beyond. In order to go beyond and encounter and experience what God wants to do in your life spiritually this year, we must first, as I said last week, tap into and believe the fact, listen, that God is the God of more. There is this thing we preach here called the more of God. Say the more of God we do not just believe in the past of god we do not just believe in the history of god we ju- we do not just believe in the, um, the 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 sort of written down recorded move of god in the past we believe that there is more of god hidden than has ever been revealed if we believe in the more of god then we must ask the question who is the more of god for and we are audacious enough to believe that the more of god
0: is for us his people Okay, so I'm not saying that this is what he means, but I think we need to be very careful with this language. There is more hidden of God than revealed. So he I'm not saying that he's claiming to know all of the hidden things of God and he is going to reveal them to you. But we got to be care I, um, we got to be careful with language because this the in the early church, I just want to give you why this is sort of like a, oh, this could be problematic to me is that in the early church you had gnosticism, all different kinds of gnosticism. And the kind of the core of Gnostic teaching was there's a lot of hidden things of God that you guys don't know about. And we, as the knowledgeable ones, as the, the ones that truth has truly been revealed to, we will then give you this knowledge as well. Uh, You just have to follow us. Um, The Gnostics were very heavy on like, yeah, the apostles, like they say they knew Jesus, but like he didn't tell them everything and he told us everything. And then if you want to know the real hidden knowledge of God, you've, you follow this teaching and not the apostles. I'm not saying that's what Kevin Wallace is saying. I'm simply saying that this language can be a little like, uh, like I, hopefully he doesn't, I don't know. I, I, I don't think that's what he's saying, but we have to be very careful when somebody says, hey, there's a lot of things hidden about God that we don't know about. Okay, fine. There's a lot of mystery of God that we, we've been given what we've been given through his word, And that is enough. And so when you say there's a lot of hidden things of God, I'm on board with you. There's a lot of mystery of God that we don't understand where I have to cut ties with you is where you go, but I know what the hidden stuff is. So I don't think that's what Kevin's saying, but that's something we need to really watch for and listen for.
1: That God has revealed himself historically and in in the past to us, but he's not through revealing himself to us. The greater is still yet to come. The best is still yet to come. I don't say that it's some pie in the sky, you know, cute thing like, you know, we, we, we never gonna have another bad day and all life is gonna be tulips and roses and peanut butter and jelly. No, it's not that we are denying the fact that the enemy will show up, we are just rejecting the idea that he will win. We reject the idea that anything he does is greater than what God has purposed to do in our life. God's yes is bigger than the devil's no. God's promises are bigger than the problems the devil would attempt to create for your life and mine. Whose report will you believe? That's really what 2023 is about. Whose report will you believe? If you add your faith to the lie of the devil, he may keep you up at night, wake you up early in the morning, and keep you tired and stressed and all wore out. But if you will believe in the report of the Lord, you will sleep, you will rest, you will wake up, put your feet on the ground, and you will be the devil's worst nightmare when you walk in the confidence that your God is up to something great In your life.
0: Okay. I this isn't really about the sermon. This is more about um I think probably denominational differences that I just want to point out. So in general, and this is just a general comment, Pentecostalism, charismaticism uh will definitely always usually pit you know God against the devil, right? So it's always the bad things were brought on by by Satan, and God is there for the victory in your life. Um, that's a, it's pretty big hallmark within charismatic, the charismatic movement in general, whereas in other movements, that's not necessarily as heavy. It's not, not, I'm not saying it's not there, but it's not necessarily as heavy, right? So in some more higher church denominations, what you're going to have is, um, there is evil in the world. There is sin in the world. Uh, Satan prowls, prowls around like, you know, is looking to devour, but, uh, in general, God is in control. Well, not in general, they would say God is in control over all things, right? So if there is, if there are things bad happening in your life, it seems to me that Kevin would be like "That's Satan in your life, but you just got to remember you got victory in Jesus. Whereas like a higher church sort of teaching, would say these things that are happening in your life are, are being allowed by God and being used by God to sanctify you and make you more into the image and likeness of Christ. Um, so bad things occurring aren't necessarily uh, from some evil force, like they're not from necessarily Satan. They're just, they're things that are going to occur in a broken world to then mold you and make you into the person that 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 God has you to be, right? Um, whereas in general, again, general terms here, and this seems to be where Kevin's kind of coming from, is this idea that like, if there's bad things, Satan's doing it, but you have to remember you know, that God has the victory in all situations. So there, there is the vast difference there and that will affect, and this is where it kind of comes back to the sermon that will affect how the sermon is prepared, how the sermon is preached, the points that are really pushed. And I think we need to recognize that depending on what denomination you grew up in, there are going to be different emphasis made on different things and you have to be kind of parse through that a little bit. Um, and, and know that that's not necessarily, um, you know, the, the right way to preach it or not. I'm not getting into dominational differences here, but I think we do need to realize that there are denominational differences and those do have a fairly large impact on how you approach the text and just being knowledgeable that that is there.
1: And I just believe you need to know that. And, and how many are thankful that when God called you, it wasn't a conference call? When God called you, it wasn't a conference call. It wasn't let me get all these opinions and everybody else's input about what he's going to do in your life. When God called you, he put his hand on your life and gave you a purpose for which he placed you on this planet. This is the year for somebody. Maybe not everybody. Maybe not even everybody on your role. But somebody in this room today is hearing what I'm saying. And you got this feeling. That I feel like preaching here. You got this feeling down on the inside of you that this is going to be the year where things get connected. Things start lining up. Things start Start happening in my life there, it may not be my neighbors here my my neighbor may be on Facebook tweeting people right now text me filing your nails they can't even hear what Pastor's saying but for me and my house this is the year where God stretches us beyond where we've ever been stretched and begins to do something in us that he's never done before this is the year for that and I believe you need to tap into that and receive that you need to begin to believe that In order for God to stretch you and me and to increase our spiritual capacity I want to understand it will probably involve breaking cycles you cannot increase in spiritual capacity if you continue to walk with the same lid on your life that has been a limit for you and has sought to identify you and keep you bound in some sort of identity that is less than what God intended for you to have
0: I just want to point out cuz i think this gets lost especially i mean kevin wallace seems like he's a very charismatic individual in regard not denominationally just personality right seems like he's like he's like a like a uh, uh, a great value this is going to sound like an insult it's not i was going to say great value td jakes so I, that's not meant to be an insult it just means like he's got like that That vibe, but he's not quite, like, that intense, right? So it it just, I don't know. That probably came off an insult. It's not supposed to be. But he's got, like, a very charismatic, he's got a very charismatic sort of personality. And it can get lost in that charismatic personality that the fact that he read Luke chapter 5, but we haven't talked about it. We were talking all about us again. Like, there is application to be had, for sure, in the Scriptures. Of course there is. I mean, we're believers. This is the Word of God. There is application, of course, to be had from this. Um, There are lots of principles that are taken from it, lots of things that we can learn about ourselves via the text. Um, But he's not talked about the text yet. We don't know, you know, who these fishermen are. We don't know why Jesus is there. We don't know what is happening specifically. We're just talking about us and our capacity.
1: In order for God to give you a year of increased spiritual capacity, he's going to have to break a cycle in your life. And he, he did that for Peter here in this text. And I want you to catch this.
0: Peter has just come off of a fishing trip. Okay, I am willing to eat crow. We are now finally circling back to Peter. Where he did not catch one fish.
1: I told Cleveland this morning when my dad and I would come back home and we didn't catch any fish. And mom would say, how many did you catch? We act like we didn't hear what she said. If you, if you catch fish and then you take pictures and whether anybody asks or not, you come in and start showing everybody, this is what I caught today. Look what I caught. But if you catch nothing, you just hope nobody asks you what you caught. And the reality of it is fresh off a season of failure. The Bible says that Jesus came to Peter and offers Peter an interruption to an intention that was on Peter to shake Peter and begin to make Peter think maybe I don't know how to fish anymore. Hear me very clearly. The Lord that you serve, the God that saved you and rescued you will often break cycles To keep you from believing the lie that the enemy is attempting to put on your life and the enemy has evidence to support his claim that you're a failure because you caught no fish the night before. And the enemy will use a season of failure as evidence. Lord, I feel this thing right here. A season of failure becomes evidence that you are not who you thought you were. You can't do what you said you could do. That maybe you don't have it down pat. Maybe you're not as as victorious as you thought you were. You're not.
0: Okay, so yeah, we're talking about P- Peter again, but we're right back to us. We're talking about us again. We're not as victorious as we thought we were. Not, you know, we're, we're in the same cycle as we were before. This isn't like... I mean, he read the text. This isn't about cycles or us. This is about Jesus coming to Peter. They haven't caught anything. And this is about Jesus showing Peter that um, he has the power over um, basically creation. Like, I mean, we'll get into it a little bit later. I'm sure he'll talk through this. I don't want to get to it too too soon here in here. But the idea is that there's something that happens here that demonstrates to Peter that this isn't just some other person. This isn't just a carpenter. Um, we'll, we'll get to it. We'll get to it in the end. I don't want to do it, but like it's not just a cycle breaking or Peter not thinking he can fish anymore. He's had a bad day for sure, but that's not why he responds the way he does to Jesus. I mean, let's go ahead. I guess we'll read part of it, right? So... Um, we'll start at verse three, getting to one of their boats, which was Simon's. He asked them to put out from the land and he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking publicly, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, master, we have toiled all night and took nothing, but your word, I will, uh, but at your word, I will set down the nets. And when he had done so, they enclosed a large number of fish. So they're already out there. Jesus is teaching Jesus says, do this, and he says, We did it all night. We didn't catch anything, but we'll do it again, because you said to do so, so we'll do that, right? So this isn't this isn't an account of like Peter being like, Well, I can't fish anymore. Like I had a really bad night, so I'm gonna give up everything. Uh, this is just Peter going, like, we did it, and we didn't get anything, but if you want me to do it again, we will. So I don't know, I think this is an over exaggeration of what's actually happening here, but I think it's an over exaggeration to make a point that he's trying to make does that make sense like i don't i hate to assume like the pastors are like over exaggerating things simply to drive their point home i don't want to make that assumption but that's not what the text says the text doesn't give us any indication that peter's like i am terrible at fishing i will never fish again and jesus comes in and breaks that that defeatist cycle in his head that's not what's happening God is-
1: straight and solid and life isn't as blessed as you've been acting like the enemy will take one opportunity of failure as evidence to make you feel like you're a failure and God steps in and breaks the cycle and says you didn't catch anything last night but we're going fishing again how many are thankful that God refuses to allow you and I to get swallowed up by a cycle of failure you might have failed but you do not have to be a failure And he says, let's go fishing, let's go fishing, and this time I want you to go to a different place, and I'll touch that in a minute, but let me just tell you this, when God breaks a cycle, it's to keep you from falsely identifying with a reality that you were never intended to walk in. Some of you have got to be able to say, and I don't care if it's been years. God broke a cycle of failure in Israel that lasted forty years in the wilderness. God broke a cycle of failure that lasted eighteen years in a woman who was bent over in the synagogue, and the Bible said she could in no wise lift herself up. When Jesus walked into the synagogue, one trip into Jesus' presence, he looked at her and said, "Woman, thou art loose from that infirmity." In other words, eighteen years you had this, but you will not have it another day in your life. Oh, let me talk about the man who for thirty-eight years was sat down at the side. Out of a pool and lived for almost four decades in a cycle of failure and all it took was one trip for Jesus to say wilt thou be made whole oh that ain't it let me talk about the woman with the issue of blood who for 12 years was in a cycle of defeat and failure and began to get a complex about how jacked up she was and one day she said to herself I better quit because I feel like preaching she said to herself if I can just touch him I don't know what the rest of them jokers did with all the money i gave them but i didn't get any better i got worse and when she touched him what got what was in him got in her and what was in her got out and the cycle was broken
0: <laughs> can you imagine going grocery shopping with this guy <laughs> let's go get some bread and then we're gonna go get some cheese and we're gonna get some meat we're gonna have us a sandwich I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Man, I wish I had this dude's energy. So here's the thing. All of the things he just mentioned are great. Like they are amazing miracles that Jesus performs in uh, in the Gospels, right? The power, again, in Luke, the whole point is like Theophilus, like these things happened. You can have faith in this Jesus you've heard of because they actually happened and the people that they happened to are here. They're still alive. They can tell you about them, right? This is the, you have, you can have more, you don't even have to have faith. I mean, in Theophilus's case, it's like I have these people that can tell you all about what they saw Jesus do. Like they're right here. Like I, I can. They're right here. Right now, for us, we're reading about it, and we can have faith in the fact that these eyewitness accounts that occurred when they occurred, that Jesus did what he said he did. Right, and these are all things that are demonstration of Christ's power over all things, over nature, over sickness, over death. Like the Jesus is the Christ. This is the whole point, right? Look at all the things that he did. He is the promised Messiah. And so this is the point of the miracles. It's to demonstrate that he is who he said he is. He is the promised one to come, right? So that is an amazing truth. Um, I don't know how that ties into breaking cycles, though. This is people being healed. This is people being freed from illness and sickness and all of these things um, that prove that Jesus is who he said he was. This isn't a breaking of a cycle, though. This is just someone that was sick for a very long time. This was someone that uh, had an issue of blood for a very long time. These are people that were healed. Um, this doesn't talk about, this isn't referring to cycles in your life, right? Like, oh, I need to give up. But then Jesus comes in and re, you know reinvigorates me. And then I want to give up again. And all of these cycles occurring to, um, what is it, deepen my spiritual uh, capacity. Like, that's, it's a stretch. Like, that's a stretch, uh, a big stretch, and I'm trying to be gracious here because I'm not charismatic. Obviously, uh, Wallace is. So it's one of those things where you're just like, all right. Well, is there some sort of touch point of truth here that we see within the examples that he's giving? And the examples he's giving are pointing to the fact that Jesus is the Christ. He is the promised one. He is the one that that can heal and to bring back from the dead. And he is the one that rose from the dead himself. Um, and he is worth following. He's worth giving your entire life to, but there's nothing here in either in Luke five or in the the examples he gave yet that have anything to do with breaking cycles that have anything to do with increasing spiritual capacity. So I'm interested to see like where he's going with this because that's not there.
1: Touch your neighbor. Tell him God's going to increase your capacity but he's gonna break a cycle to do it. He'll break a cycle of doubt, oh God. He'll break a cycle of fear. He'll break a cycle of bondage. He'll break a cycle of addiction. And you say, and the devil says, yeah, but I've had him 18 years. And you better find out what you're gonna do with the rest of your life being free from that because you're not gonna be a slave to it. Another day in your life.
0: Well, and there he goes. I mean, so I, maybe I'm just misunderstanding what he means by spiritual capacity, but what he's talking about is basically salvation and freedom from sin. I mean, that's what he's essentially pointing to, right? You're not a slave to your sin anymore. You're free in Christ. And now that you're free in Christ, you have the ability to follow Christ, not being shackled to the sin that you were enslaved to for, his example, 18 years, right? I mean, this is just talking about salvation and freedom an amazing freedom that can only be brought in by Christ, right? Via the examples that he gave before. So if he's talking about increasing spiritual capacity by talking about you being freed from sin, particular sins in your life, right? Cycles of uh, uh, maybe alcoholism or cycles of maybe lust or cycles of maybe uh, like fill in the blank, right? But whatever those are, if he's talking about being freed from sin in your life, hundred percent, yeah, this could be the year that that happens for somebody. Um, but only God can do that. Like there's not situations that you can put yourself in that all of a sudden, because you did this out of the other thing, then God's going to free you from that. It's just that if he chooses to do that, he will do that, right? But we also have examples in scripture where that doesn't happen and people live in faithful obedience to God, even when they're not freed from particular sins, and they still struggle with them. They just don't submit to them. So there's that as well, that I think we have to keep into account. I gotta, there's
1: an introduction, we gotta calm down, please calm down. (laughs) Cycles are being broken, so that capacity can be increased. God wants to increase your capacity, but you have to break, allow Christ to break you out of the cycle. Now, he says to Peter, Peter, Launch out into the deep and drop down your nets. And I touched on this here last Sunday and I'm just going to give it a little bit more and then I'm going to move to the next thing that I see in this text. When Jesus says launch out into the deep, he gives Peter an invitation. An invitation to the deep place. Now, let me talk about the deep place.
0: Okay, let, let's read this text, all right? So... Let's just start at the beginning. We've already read this, but I want to start all the way back. Verse 1, chapter 5. On this occasion, while the crowds were pressing against him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of... Gish- um Lake of Geseret. I don't do well with names, no matter how many times I say them. But anyway, verse 2. And he saw two boats at the lake, but the fishermen had gone out from them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, he which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from land. But why? So this we'll see why he asked him that. And he sat down and taught the people from the boat. So Jesus asked Simon to take him out into the deep because he's being pressed on by the people that he's trying to teach and he can't teach them efficiently. So he tells them to get in the boat and he says, could you take me out a little bit from land? And then he teaches them from the boat since they can't get to him because there's a nice little a buffer of water there between him and them. When he was done, it says, and he sat down and taught the people from the boat in verse four. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. So now he's done teaching. He says, let's go out into the deep and put your nets down for a catch. And Simon answered, master, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. But he says at your word, I will let down my net. So this idea, if he says he's done teaching, he says, all right, let's go out further and do your nets. Peter says, I did that already. I didn't get anything, but I will do it because you ask. All right. So that's the context. Let's see what he says. Cause when you start talking about the deep place in church,
1: people either get nervous or they're like, yeah, let's go. People get nervous because they think deep means weird. Sometimes I will tell you, deep is different. But the deep place in God is where you want to be where your feet don't touch bottom, where you're not the one calling the shots, where you literally do what Peter said. When Jesus said, Long shot into the deep, Peter said, Master. Now, this is an interesting word because it's only used a handful of times in the New Testament. It is not the word Adonai, which means Lord and master. No, that's not what this word means. This word means the superintendent, the one calling the shots. That's literally what this word master means in the Greek. When when Peter looked at Jesus, Peter was the expert fisherman. Jesus is the carpenter. The carpenter looks at the fisherman and says, I'm going to tell you where to go fish. And the fisherman wanted to look back in the carpenter and said, you go build tables and I'll stick to fishing. But Peter knew something about Jesus. This is not just a table maker. This is master. And if you can see Jesus as master, then when he gives you a
0: word, you don't spend your life in analysis paralysis. All right. So there's two things here we need to point out that I think are just important contextually. The first being that Jesus in this situation is clearly not a carpenter. He's clearly a teacher. Um, So not always, but in general, teachers were respected in the culture. Um, Clearly, even if Peter knows nothing about Jesus up to this point, then he knows that Jesus has a large crowd, is well-respected, and he's got such a large crowd that's pressing in on him that he needs to get in a boat so he can teach them effectively. So let's assume that Peter doesn't know anything about Jesus being a carpenter, that he just knows him from what he's experienced then, that he's a teacher. Um, And so he takes him out and he's responding to him. When Jesus says, go out further, Peter is explaining or seeming to explain to Jesus within the context of the text that, like, we've already done that, but I'm going to respect what I see, you, I'm going to respect you because clearly you're a teacher, Probably, uh, if he if he's teaching about the things of God, I think the text said you're a teacher of the of the law, right? So I'm going to respect you and do that. So this whole idea of like, um, I I, I you should go make tables and I'll do the fishing doesn't seem to come into play here. He's seen Jesus teach the law of God or about God, and he says I'm going to re- okay, master. And I I do I do want to point out I'm glad that um, that Wallace points that that out in regards to what master means, superintendent, the one that's sort of leading uh, the plan right now. And Peter is respectful of that. And I think that, and I hope that, Wallace gets onto the change of tone that Peter has later when we go from master to Lord. That's an important textual shift here. Um, But I think it's an overreach to say, when Jesus asks you to do something, you understand that he's the master, he's the superintendent. That's yes, but also not what the text is tr- seems to be trying to imply here. The text seems to be trying to imply that Peter is being respectful to Jesus because he sees him as a teacher and therefore he is going to obey what this teacher says out of respect for him, saying, hey, we've already tried that, but because you ask, I'm going to go do it again. And again, within the context, it's pretty clear that Peter doesn't think they're going to catch anything. We're going to go do what this guy asked. We're not going to get anything. We'll go back great the day will be over that's not what happens though so let's let's keep going we had a little bit of a hiccup there in the recording so we're going to start again from here
1: the carpenter looks at the fisherman and says
0: i'm gonna tell you where to go fish
1: and the fisherman wanted to look back in the carpenter and said you go build tables and i'll stick to fishing but peter knew something about jesus this is not just a table maker this is master And if you can see Jesus as master, then when he gives you a word, you don't spend your life in analysis paralysis. When, if you can see Jesus as master when he tells you to do something you don't spend your time trying to figure out how he's going to do it you say like Mary be it unto me according to your word I don't know how you're going to do this but I know you're the master and the superintendent watch this and the superintendent said "When when what, I want you to get out of this shallow end and launch out into the deep wait a minute God Uh, Fish don't gather in the deep in the daytime. That's not how we fish. Fish don't go to the deep place in the daytime. That's not what they do. And I want to tell you this. Most of the time they would be correct. Fish don't go to the deep place in the daytime unless they have a reason to. Well, what would cause a fish to wanna swim to the deep end in a big school in a place they don't usually gather at a time they're not usually there? What would make fish do that? A voice what voice the master who created them in Genesis 1 and gave fish life and put them in the ocean that same master that gave them life started talking to them in the Sea of Galilee and said to the fish I'm the superintendent that tells you where to go get to the deep place and can't you see the fish the fish looking up saying why are we going to the deep end and they're going to the deep end because a disciple has decided I fished all night and caught nothing nevertheless at thy word I'm going to the deep end the point is this if you get to where God told you to get God will talk to your blessing and tell it to get there too all
0: right so we were doing pretty good there for a second in regards to uh, the deity of Jesus uh, God telling you know uh, telling the fish where to go right so the fact that fish aren't normally where they would be in that part of the day uh, Peter uh, obeying Jesus uh, as a sign of respect for teacher, right? So this idea of, of him saying master uh, as a sign of respect for Jesus um, and not just saying, oh, well, you're just a carpenter. I don't have to listen to you. We don't have really any indication that uh, Peter thought of Jesus as a carpenter. What we do have an indication of in this text is that Jesus comes to the boats. He gets in the boat. He asks to be taken out of ways. He teaches for a bit after he's done teaching. He then tells Simon Peter, Take me out further and put down your nets. And Simon Peter in the text in Luke 5 uh, seems to be respectful in doing so because he can clearly, again, cultural context here is that teachers were very usually widely respected. And because Peter clearly sees that Jesus is a teacher, uh, not only just a teacher, but a teacher with a fairly large following, then he respects him and takes him out further, probably with the assumption that we fished all night, but we're going to do it again because you told us to likely via the text thinking that we're, it'll be like a quick trip out and a quick trip back in because why would it not be? But then, then he, Wallace takes it and flips it to, if you follow, if you do what Jesus tells you, Jesus is going to tell your blessing to do the same thing. And then you'll meet in the middle. Essentially, this is very much uh, you do part, your part, God will do his part on the blessing. And he sort of seems this sort of teaching indicates maybe inadvertently, but, um, God can't move until you do, right? God's held back by the fact that you won't move first, um, which I would say is, is not true, but let's see where he takes this.
1: Stop somebody, tell them God's talking to your blessing right now. Some of you are wondering how you're gonna pay your bills. God's talking to your money. God's talking to your boss. Oh, y'all looking at me funny. But when God gets in your business and you call him master, he will talk to everything that's connected to you. And if you get to the right place, he'll get it there. He will get your blessing to the right place. He is the master.
0: If you will listen to God, your blessing will listen to him too. See, this isn't the point though. This isn't the point of the text. The point of the text is to demonstrate that Jesus is Lord over all, and not just to us, but to Peter, right? So again, remember the context of Luke is that Luke is writing this account to Theophilus to uh, reassure him of the accounts that he's heard and trusted in. And this is one of those accounts that he's heard and trusted in. And he's saying, hey, this really did happen to peter and james and john like this really happened where they were fishing and they hadn't caught anything and jesus shows up and like this whole account you've heard about from first hand accounts like this did happen and peter in this account uh calls jesus master recognizing an authoritative uh title toward him but then if you were to read on after they go out and they have all of this catch of fish that fills up all the boats his tone changes from master to lord which is different and it is a recognition of the fact that like maybe I maybe I don't know who you are in regards to the Messiah but he he knows there's something different about Jesus far more different than just this is just another teacher right this is a this is someone that has done something miraculous and Peter can't explain it. And so the title changes from master to Lord. I don't know if he's going to talk about this, but that's an incredibly important thing. The, the point of the passage isn't about the blessing. The point of the passing isn't about all the fish that Peter and James and John were uh, blessed with. The point of the passage within the context of the entire passage is that this is a demonstration that Jesus is more than just a teacher. That's the point, not the blessing.
1: But I digress, I I, I really don't wanna preach that point today. I I wanna talk about this business of partners because if you're going to see an increase in your spiritual capacity, I wanna know who you're partnering with. Lord have mercy. I usually say this, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. I'm going to take it a step deeper today. Show me your partners and I'll show you your capacity. Let
0: me teach here. Open your Bible to 2
1: Corinthians chapter 6.
0: All right, so he seems to be shifting gears a bit here, but we definitely want to go with him. So uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 6, let's see kind of how he, how he deals with the passage there. This will be, uh, it'll be interesting to see where he goes. I'm going to slow down and teach. But I feel like hollering. So I'm
1: conflicted. So I'll teach now and holler in a minute. 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Can you put that up on the screen for me, brothers? Oh, ye Corinthians. This is Paul speaking to the church at Corinth. You're taking notes. You want to write this down. Say partners. Come on, say it like you mean it. Say Partners will help you or hurt you. The people who you are connected to will either increase your spiritual capacity or it will help decrease your spiritual capacity. O oh, ye Corinthians, our mouth is open unto you. Our heart is what? Come on, say it. Enlarge. Next verse. You are not straightened or shrunk, that's the key, the the word there in the Greek is made small. You are not straightened or shrunk or made small in us, but you are made small in your own heart. Keep going, next verse, watch this. Now for a recompense in the same, don't you love King James, who can understand this? I speak as unto my children, be ye also what? Enlarge. Can you do the next verse? I didn't tell you that, but I want them to see what the next verse is in context. And I'll wait for you to get it and peel it and put it on there. But the next verse talks about being unequally yoked. See that? I'm going to teach this. Be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers for what, for how many have ever heard this scripture quoted? Especially in a holiness church. When y'all started getting married to sinners, we quoted this scripture and we would rebuke. Don't be getting unequally yoked with them unbelievers. Come on, y'all know. And I still believe that. I believe Christians ought to marry Christians. Y'all, I'll come down off this stage. I said, I believe Christians ought to marry Christians. And I believe Christians ought to get married to Christians and not just live with Christians. And I'm not being mean or critical. I will, I, we will hold, a, a, we did this. How many remember four years ago we had a mass wedding and we married like 12 couples? All at the same time and paid for the wedding and the cake and the friends and everybody that came to church did that. Because we have so many people getting saved who were living together. And I'm not being mean. They were living together because that's what they thought they could do. And when they got saved, they started saying, We don't feel right about this. We need to get married. And I said, You do. And if you and they said, Pastor, we don't have the money to get married. And I said, well, you know what? We're gonna do a mass wedding, church will pay for it. We had a party out. How many remember that had a party?
0: Okay, so here's the thing. As critical as I've have been to this sermon and may continue to be depending on how he how how he takes this, but that's pretty cool. Like that that's that's the church being the church, right? Hey, they don't feel right about being living together. They've been saved, the spirit's working in their life. They know there's something that needs to be done about it and they're like, "I want to get married. I ain't got the money to get married and I want a wedding." And so the church steps in and says, "Hey, we'll take care of it." Right? Like you are part of the body of Christ. You are part of the family. You're being, you've been redeemed. You're being sanctified. Yeah, we'll pay for that. And they do a mass wedding together. Uh, I'm going to hope and assume that there was some uh, good mar- premarital counseling being given there. Uh, but I'm just going to assume that that was done. And uh, that's pretty cool. That's pretty cool that the church being the church saying, hey, you know that you're supposed to be, to you know, you're supposed to be uh, coming before God and joined together as one. And we're going to help you do that. That's a pretty cool thing
1: out in the lobby and had a celebration I want to say this you who are born again don't need to be dating and hanging and checking people out that are not in the kingdom of God yeah. boy that's somebody start the car up if you if, if uh, well you know I feel like the Lord told me that if I keep dating them they're gonna get saved Listen, you are not the Apostle Paul. You are not a missionary dater. Okay. So the reality of it is you don't need to be unequally yoked, but he's talking about something more than marriage and dating here. Now watch this. Paul, let me go back and break this down for you. Say partners will help you increase or either decrease spiritual capacity. So Paul says, go back to verse 11 for me, let's walk through this. Paul says to the believers at Corinth, he says, Corinthians, our mouth, which means what we were saying, our message, our speech, is wide open to you, our heart wide open to you. We we are looking to have connection. That's what he's saying. We were connected. We're speaking life into your life. We're giving you the truth. We're giving you the way of God. We're telling you the the, the, the the word of the Lord, and you're growing. And he said, our heart is wide open to you. We're in this relationship together. Next verse. But the problem is you're not. But the problem is uh, uh, that, that there's this... Shrunken capacity and it's not small and shrinking because of us because we're wide open giving you all we got. But the capacity in your spirit is small because you have shut your heart off to us. Next verse. Watch this. For now, a recompense in the same. And then he says, just like we have an open heart to you, you do the same and open up your heart to us. In other words, let's be partners together. Let's work together in the kingdom of God. Let's advance the kingdom together. Quit making this. What he's saying is quit making this a one-sided investment. We are speaking to you. We're giving you all we got. Our hearts are open to you. Our mouths are open to you. We're sharing the word of the Lord. And we're giving you everything we got. And you have this narrow way of living. And you have kept us out of your life. And he said, now open your heart. Enlarge your heart toward us. And then that passage comes almost out of nowhere and be ye not, next verse please, unequally yoked together. What's he really saying? He's saying here you have some people in your life that are pouring into you, giving you the word of the Lord. They care about your spiritual future. They love you enough to tell you the truth. They love you enough to walk with you through your failure, your pain, your problems. They love, they're there for you. They give you everything they got and you shut them off. But on the other hand, you got partnered up with some evil people. And Paul says, how in the world are you going to soar with eagles if you keep connecting and partnering with chickens? How are you ever going to be everything God wants you to be if your entire life is about being yoked up and partners with people that do not? I want you, don't do it, don't say nothing, don't cry, don't wink, don't do nothing. It's a rhetorical question. I want you to take inventory of who you spend a lot of your time with. And if the people who you spend a lot of your time with are people that constantly draw off of you and suck out of you. And when they do get ready to invest something, it's darkness, it's nastiness, it's perversion. And you're always surrounded by people who never have a kingdom mindset. They they, they never talk about the goodness of God. I'm not telling you, you can't have friends, but there's a difference between friendship and fellowship.
0: All right. So, so I know I stopped him in the middle of a sentence here, but I, I I don't disagree with what he what he's saying here in Second Corinthians. I think it's actually pretty decent in regards to what's going on. I do want to read on further, though, right? So Second Corinthians chapter fourteen: Do not be unequally yoked with uh, with unbelievers, for what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? For what fellowship has light with darkness? What accordant has Christ with Baal, or Baal? Or what portions does the believer share with the unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For what are uh, the temple of the living God for we are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will make my dwelling in them and walk among them and I will be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore, go out from their midst and be separate from them, says the Lord and touch no unclean thing. And I will welcome you and I will be your father, uh, be a father to you. And you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord God Almighty. Since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of the body and spirit, bringing holiness and completion to uh, in the fear of God, like I think what he's, what what Wallace is saying here is right on in regards to fellowship versus friendship. This point is solid, right? So this, I think this is a good demonstration of before, and the, I think the reason it's solid is he's using the principle that Paul is saying and bringing out the application of the principle. Whereas before, when we were talking in Luke chapter five. He's reading us into the principle of what's happening in Luke and not just reading into the reality of what's happening in Luke, which is that the Lord is is working within the situation to demonstrate that he is Lord overall, right? So it's it's intriguing to me that he treats one passage in one way, and I would say in an exegetically incorrect way, and then in this passage he does it really, really well so far. I mean, he's not done yet, but what he's saying here is correct in regards to how we as believers, there is a difference between fellowship and friendship, and Paul is demonstrating that and talking to them about that, and then he draws out Wallace, rather, draws out the application within that text to apply it to the believer today. Let's see how he he, uh, completes this
1: and in 2023 I feel like I need to tell somebody who you are partnering with is going to help determine your spiritual capacity there, there are circles of access into our lives and the problem with some people is that they have shut off kingdom voices and they have opened the door for people who don't even know God and all we do is hear this, this barrage of negativity and you get that from the church people sometimes you gotta be careful what you let in your heart and in your ear and in your eyes because your ear gate and your eye gate are an access to your heart. And if you are trying to figure out why you always struggling with doubt and fear and unbelief, if you will take inventory of those who are speaking into your life, it will help you understand why you are struggling to expand in spiritual capacity. I don't just need friends who understand football with me, I need kingdom citizens who understand kingdom principles and kingdom life so that when the enemy shows up they don't just sympathize they take authority with me over my problem and my pain and stand with me until I get a breakthrough you need to be careful who has access into your I'm not talking about being arrogant nasty you know some people take this message and they go to the extreme with it and if people come and try to talk to them, talk to the hand, I ain't, you're too spiritual. It's not that, that I don't, I have a lot of friends who are not born again, and I can have fun with them, we can have friendship, but we don't have cornania. What in the world, Cornea. Cornania is spirit empowered fellowship among brothers and sisters in Christ. You've gotta be very careful
0: See, this point here, I think, is right on. Like, if we were to eliminate the Luke 5 part that we had at the beginning, which I think there's a lot of issues with that weren't really fleshed out very well, and go right into this point, I think this message is pretty solid. This idea that you... The difference between fellowship and friendship is something I think... we Like, I don't, I don't know if we talk about it enough. Like, there's this reality. And I've, I've talked about this before in different posts, maybe different videos. But, like, there are people that I can meet that... They're a believer and I'm a believer. We don't even know it initially, but we get to talking and there is a connection there. Why? Because you believe in you follow Jesus. You've been you've been set free from your sin. And there's this kinship between us that is different than this me and this other person. Like there's this bonding there, right? There's this reality that we are brothers and sisters in Christ. So what he's talking about here is um, like, this is a ama- mate, like, this is good. This is good. I think this is a proper unpacking of the text in regards to what this looks like, and what Paul's trying to like, like the difference here that would be, is being drawn out. Now I could be wrong. If you think I'm, I'm giving him a little too much leniency comment below, but, uh, and cause again, this is the first time I'm watching this. So I haven't had a real good opportunity to work through second Corinthians chapter six and see all the context of it. But from what I'm looking at here, this is right on. In 2023, that you don't allow people access to places in your heart
1: that will shrink your spiritual capacity. I used to, I used to, and listen, I'm not talking just about, you know, this would be easy if people wore a badge that says capacity shrinker. It would be very easy to be like, oh, I can't, my pastor told me no, 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 no. But ain't it like that? Some of them are even in the kingdom. Some are even preachers. Oh God negativity all the time I used to go to this preacher's meeting we did once a month and we're supposed to have prayer we prayed for three minutes and complained for an hour and a half I would leave like this until one day I recognized that ain't a prayer meeting I actually feel worse after that meeting than I did before the meeting started why because listen listen you got to be careful that people who, who you open your heart to are opening their heart to you and to the thing God has for you. Say partners. This word partner comes from the old, the old English um, origin. The entomology of this word, it comes from an old English origin. Don't miss this. And it means that you have a part in something. That's where the word partner comes from. Partners are people who play a part and have a part in the thing God is getting ready to do in your life. They play a part and they take part or have a part of the thing God is getting ready to do in your life. Mm. Jesus tells Peter, launch out into the deep, let down your nets. For a catch. Now, I want to tell all the scholars in the room that will be quick to rebuke me. Yeah, but in the Greek, it was singular in both locations. It is not conclusive in the Greek. There is a reason why different translations say nets or net. It is because the earliest manuscripts differ. And most of the manuscripts actually use the plural in this place. Jesus said literally, let down your nets. When he said let down your nets, he was not just telling Peter to go get more nets. He was making sure Peter understood that he had to get connected to the right people who had a net to join with his net. He was actually speaking to Peter's ability to partner for the harvest that was coming. When he said, launch out into the deep and let down your nets, he said, Peter, I want you to get to the deep, but don't go by yourself. Take some people who got a net with them and y'all put y'all's net together. All of y'all's nets can't handle.
0: I'm about to preach in this. Okay, hold on. (laughs) So the second Corinthians passage was good and then we're going back. Okay, hold on. Let's just read. Here's the thing. There's a lot of clarity that can come from just reading the text. Luke chapter 5. And I know I've read this a few times. Let's read it one more. Uh, Let's actually start at, let's see, verse 4. We'll start at verse 4. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put uh, out into the deep and let down your nets. So the translation I'm using seems to be uh, does not care about if it's net or nets because that's that matters very little. I think he's making a way bigger point about this net and net situation. Um, Either way, you're putting down a net. It doesn't really make a difference within the context. The way the Greek, when you put Greek sentences together, it it always depends on, um, you know, the before, after, and context of the sentence. It works a lot different than English. But the point is, uh, the nets versus net Doesn't really matter as far as I can tell. Uh so anyway, put down your nets for a catch, and Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word I will let down the nets. And when he had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. They then signaled for their partners in the other boats to come and help them. So this is the idea. Not only did Jesus not say, Bring more people, don't only is the text not saying that Jesus said, Connect your nets with my nets, because Jesus had no nets. He wasn't fisherman he wasn't in the you know he wasn't doing the same trade but in verse seven they signaled to their partners in the other boats to come help them and they came and filled their boats so they they began to sink right i just want you to read the text when somebody's making making uh statements like this His whole statement was, Jesus said, you need to let down your nets because you need to connect your nets with your partner's nets and my nets. And that's not what the text says. There's not any even allusion to that. The idea is he says, go out, let down your nets. Peter says, okay. He goes down, puts down his nets. His nets are full. He then has to call for help because his nets are so full and they come to help him. And the boats are almost sinking because there's so many fish. Again, we talked about this in the last sermon review we did. We talked about this in a lot of the sermon review we did. There is this plain reading of the text that says what it says in order to demonstrate a point. Now, again, we can go all the way back to Origen where Origen had three, he, he saw three meanings in all scripture, right? Uh, the literal, the moral, and the spiritual. And he would read into the, the text um, the, the literal, the moral, and the spiritual. So, the literal being what the literal text says, which is that Peter went out and got, uh, went out and threw down his nets, right? The moral kind of the text is that Peter obeyed the Lord. And the spiritual thing of the text is that, uh, I'm not sure what Origen would say about this, but it seems to be like kind of what, you know, he's saying here in this sermon is that like it was actually a spiritual talk about nets, your nets and their nets and our nets and everybody's nets together, right? And there's an issue with that. I think you're really, really stretching when you read a a deeper meaning into the text that's not explicitly stated. I have no problem with the literal because the literal is right there. The moral is really more of the principle of the matter. And the spiritual part, there are going to be some spiritual depths in certain texts, but not every single text. And here, the point is clear given Luke one, the context that Luke one sets up for the entirety of Luke is that here, this account is given to not only reassure Theophilus that Jesus is who he says He is, but that in this moment Peter realizes that this isn't just a teacher, this isn't just a master, this is Jesus the Lord, which is able to do things that clearly Peter still doesn't fully understand. It won't until after the resurrection. But there's something different about this teacher. Let's see where he goes with this. but I just anytime somebody starts making like wide assumptions about the text here that don't seem to be here, I would encourage you to trust the text and then just ask questions about where these wide proclamations are being made about Jesus saying, join your nets to my nets, the partnership issue here. Like everything he said in 2 Corinthians 6, I think I'm pretty much on board with, but the application doesn't seem transferable to this particular text because that's not the point of this text let's let him keep going Church.
1: he said you're getting in ready to go into a place where what you got in your boat can't handle what i'm getting ready to put in it so you better be connected to some partners who have a part to play and a part to receive god i feel i'm like preaching here what would i tell you if your increase what would you say if I told you God's ability to increase in your life was ability, was, was contingent and predicated upon your ability not to waste it when he sends it? Yeah. Let down your nets for a catch. Peter said, whoo, at thy word, I will let down my net. He already blew it. Read the text. Go back to Luke 5 for me. Launch out in the deep. Let down your nets for a catch. Next verse, please. Next verse, please. Verse 5. But Simon Peter and Master, we toiled all night, caught nothing. Nevertheless, that there word, I will let down the... What?
0: Okay. Again, this is where... And I've told you about this app a number of times. And I would very encourage you... I would very much encourage you to download it. It's called the Step App. I'll include a link in the description. So, the Step App here, it is primarily esv it does have um well esv is the only english version that's defaultly that comes with it but the text here right and when he had finished speaking verse four he said to simon put into the deep and let down your nets is the way that it translates even if you tap on it though the word technically is net it's a fishing net and then um verse five, and Simon answered, master, we toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word, we will let down our nets. It is the exact same word in the Greek that Jesus used, right? So it all depends on the translators of your particular uh, translation here on how they translate the word net or nets, because in the Greek, it is the same word. So this is where, again, Greek translation comes in very, I mean, it's important, right? And this is all based on your trans- your translation. So he's reading, I think it's the new standard King James version or something. So that translation team choose to translate when Jesus said net to use nets based on the the manuscripts they had and where they th- how they thought it should be said. And then when they get to verse five, they chose to translate the word nets into net based on how they saw everything coming together there. DSV translators chose to put nets when Jesus said him, told him to put down nets, and they chose to put nets when P, uh, Peter responds to Jesus. Here's the point. The Greek says net or nets in both places, depending, again, on the manuscripts you have, and the translation team is making their best call based on what they see happening here. When you make an entire point as he is making... On a translation, you're having an issue and you've missed the whole point. You've missed the entire point. Because when you start trying to read deeper into a text that doesn't say what you're trying to draw out of it, you run into this problem. The point of the text is that Jesus is more than just a teacher. He is the Lord. And though they don't understand what that means right now, he is calling them to follow him and to become his disciples. That's the whole point. Of Luke 5, right? Not all of these other little things. And when you start trying to preach points off of these little things based on a translation in this particular case, you run into all sorts of problems because that's not what the text is trying to say. And when you force something into it, you're going to come into problems like this. It is not about nets versus net, it is about the fact that Jesus comes. Ask Peter to go out further. Peter does. Peter does not expect what's going to happen, but he's being obedient and respectful. Something happens that Peter could have never imagined occurs, changes his whole life, and recognizes that Jesus is not just a good teacher. There is something different about this guy. And there's something so different that he's like, I'm not worthy to be around you. Let's look at the text, right? Because I don't think we're going to get there, to be quite frank. Let's get to it. Um, verse eight, second half of verse eight, depart from me for I am a sinful man. O Lord. Like he knows there's something different. He falls to his knees and says, depart from me. I am a sinful. He knows that there is something happening here that is beyond his comprehension. That's the point of the text. So I'm not sure how much longer we're going to focus on this net versus net thing, but it's totally, it doesn't matter. It, it's, just, it's just talk. It, it makes no point. It, it's not the point of the text. And you're going to keep running into issues like this if you're trying to draw something out of the text that's not there.
1: Net! How do you blow it that quickly? Jesus said, get out to the deep, let down your nets. Peter said, I got you. I'm heading out there. I'm taking my net. I can see Jesus going, oh God. <laughs> this is about to be an unmitigated disaster. He launched down into the deep and he took his net. And Jesus is just watching this all happen. I try to tell him, y'all. I'm getting ready to do something in his life he's never seen. And he gets out there in the deep and he drops down his net. And all of a sudden the unthinkable happens. Fish start flying to the net Peter sees the net jerking oh i got a few fisher oh, what is happening here Don't, oh I can't even pull it in my god the boat is starting to sink I did a little research and I found out that most boats in that day are seven and a half feet wide by 25 feet long approximately Most boats in that day were seven and a half feet long, by 20 feet wide. This bears out, if you've ever been to Jerusalem, there is an actual institute and a a museum just on on the shore of Galilee. And they actually found a boat from around the first or second century. And it's about that long, about seven and a half feet wide by about 25 feet long. And if it's seven and a half feet wide by 25 feet long, it could actually, if you filled the boat up, it's about would be about two tons of fish per boat. That's a lot of fish. I see Raymond over here who goes to the, uh, down to the Gulf and he brings me back shrimp because he got a shrimp boat. Shrimp. Somebody said, what kind of shrimp do you like? Dead shrimp, any kind of shrimp. Fried, broiled, shrimp kebab, shrimp scampi. I like all kinds of shrimp. I ain't never met a shrimp I didn't like. Like my, like my friend on uh, Forrest Gump, shrimp kebabs, barbecue shrimp, fried shrimp, smoked shrimp. And about after an hour and a half, Bubba said, I think that's about all the kind of shrimps there is. That's me, I like all kinds of shrimp. If Raymond brings me back shrimp and he'll show me pictures sometime of shrimp all over the boat. Can you imagine being Peter and catching nothing the night before? And a carpenter who builds tables tells you, Get to the deep and drop down your nets. And he goes out there and says, Well, I guess at the word of the master, I'll drop down my net. All of a sudden, fish start swimming to the net. And all of a sudden, he got more fish and he knows what to do with. When God starts blessing you, who you are partnered to will determine your spiritual capacity. Can you have, can you imagine? Oh, this is, don't miss this. Had Peter not had the right partners, I'm not trying to over overstate this. I am not trying to work something out of this text that is not there.
0: But my. <laughs> okay, hold on. Hold on. Uh, now, he. we'll let him bear that out. But this whole, I'm not trying to work something out of this text that's not their thing. Come on. All right. He is fishing with James and John, sons of Zebedee. This is their job. This is what they do all the time. This is the context of the situation. They are fishermen in Galilee. They, as far as you can tell, you can read through the rest of Luke chapters one through four. And there doesn't seem to be a whole lot of, of, of under, like, maybe they knew Jesus was a carpenter. Maybe. But in all in all, they probably would have known Jesus as a teacher. Like someone that John the, ba- at best, John the Baptist, Baptist baptized Jesus, right? Maybe they, they had heard of that. Maybe they had heard of Jesus um, healing people, right? But there doesn't seem to be this indication that they knew that him as a carpenter, they knew that him, that he was a teacher and that maybe he was uh, a, a more spiritual teacher than other teachers, maybe, but that we still don't really get that indication uh, when Jesus gets in the boat. At best, we kind of get this indication that Peter knew he was a, is, he was a teacher, I think we're reading a ton of partnership into here that's just not necessarily there at all. Again, the Second Corinthians thing, just stick with that text. Second Corinthians 6 was like that, building out of that was a really good text of, hey, the people you are open to, right? That's important because if you're partnering, if you are in fellowship, like deep friendship, right? This connection through Christ, that connection should be with people that also know Jesus, because if you're partnered with the world, you're gonna, you're not gonna get things from that that are gonna be beneficial to you. That whole section there was really good, and then we ha- then he's trying to drag that text back into this. So I know what he's like. The the funny thing is, he realizes apparently he realizes that there are going to be people. like me, that say that's not in the text. And so he acknowledges, he goes, look, I'm not trying to draw something out of the text that's not here. And I am very interested in what he's about to say, mind you, but I would contend he is. This whole idea of partnership, though it's really well worked out in 2 Corinthians, is not the point. And I don't even see it being, it doesn't seem to be even an underlying factor in in Luke 5. Because that's not the point of Luke 5. We've already talked about this. So let's see his defense of why he's, quote, not trying to pull things out of the text that's not there, because I think he very much is pulling things out of the text that isn't here.
1: My mind leads me to believe that the boat began to sink. Can you imagine the blessing being so substantial that had he not had the right partners who helped him increase his spiritual capacity, his blessing could have actually sunk him? And do you know that there are people, and I know that's true, because there are people in the kingdom of God, their success has ruined them far more than their failure has. Why? Because as God begins to bless you and your boat, as your boat begins to fill up, if you don't have the right partners, the blessing will start
0: getting in the boat and one boat can't handle it all. You were never meant to be so blessed. that. Okay, so the principle here is not bad, but it doesn't apply to the text. The idea again. I think Second Corinthians six. He could have still stayed there. The idea that you need to be in a fellow in fellowship with believers that understand uh, you, love you, are in fellowship with you, are following Jesus as well, that can bear burdens with you, cry with you, celebrate with you, do all of these things that the body of Christ is meant to be to fellow believers. But that doesn't have anything to do with Luke five, right? They so let's do this six. Uh, verse six in Luke chapter five. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. They signaled for their partners and other boats to come and help them. And they came and filled their boats so that they began to sink. All of these boats were sinking, guys. Do You see the importance of reading the text. This isn't just Simon Peter's boat sinking, so he has to call for help from his partners to help carry the burden for him. Rather, they come to fill their nets, and what happens? And when they, okay, uh, verse 5, just to prove my point, and Simon answered, Master, we had told all night, but at your word, we'll let down our nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. They signaled, so their nets were breaking in verse 6. So verse 7, they signal for their partners in other boats to come help them. So they're, they're, Nets are breaking, they know they need help, so they signal for their other partners to come help them in the other boat, and they come and help them, and they came and filled their boats so that they began to sink. All the boats are sinking. So if we're applying the the logic that he is using within this text, that when God blesses you, you need to bring people along to help you, but your boat, all your boats are about to sink because the blessing is too much for all of you. So it doesn't matter that you have help, all your boats are sinking under the weight of the blessing. You're all going to sink and die because you all can't handle all the blessing that God has given you. That's, I mean, do you see the absurdity of that? It's not what the text is saying. Not only is that not what the text is saying in regards to having people that can help carry the burden of blessing with you, but it's not that it's just Simon Peter's boat that's sinking, so he needs to call his partners to come help him so he doesn't sink. In the text, it specifically says that his partner's boats began to sink too because there's so many fish. Why is that important? Because... The point of the text is to prove that Jesus is more than a master. He is Lord and he can command. He commands all things. So much so that Peter falls down in to his knees and says, I-, I am a sinner, depart from me. That's the point of the text. The point of the text is not the blessing. It's not the partners. It's the fact that Jesus is more than he thought he was. That's the point.
1: Let's continue you didn't share it with somebody and the people that become so narcissistic and myopic and they see the fish as merely their their blessing and they don't understand that god is in a kingdom mindset he's not just trying to fill your net he has your partners in mind and he wants the kingdom thing to happen don't let your blessing sink you by being selfish Selah don't let your blessings sink you by being so selfish Peter is bringing all these fish in and, and he's trying to figure out how am I not going to sink two tons of fish fish all in the boat the boat is starting to sink and he looks around and he says this ain't working hey! Wallace unauthorized translation Peter is hollering James John get your mama and all of them somebody help me and they start rolling out there bring their net and it's so much fish that everybody connected to Peter starts feeling the weight Of the blessing y'all I'm not trying to make more of this than that. I'm trying to shape I'm trying to help you understand some God is doing this in this story to shape the mind of a man who had depended on his own ability all of his life and Jesus is saying to Peter I'm gonna get you so good that when I get through blessing you with this you will never be able to blame it on somebody some connection it'll never be that system it'll never be your sugar daddy it'll never be that that one that gave you the hook up. Oh God, I'm about to bless you, Peter, and everything connected to you so much so that when I get through with it, it's gonna make you fall down and say, Surely he is the son of the living God. It-
0: okay, wait. Oh, okay, let's let's read it again. Let's just this is the only answer I have to addressing this. Read the text. So in verse eight. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down to Jesus' knees, at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Now, again, he's not acknowledging that Jesus is the Son of God. He doesn't know that. He just says, O Lord, right? This title, again, being like the Lord, this master, the title. So here's the definition within the Greek. A person of high status, Lord, sir, a master of property or of slaves, someone over, There's no recognition here of Jesus being the Son of God yet. There is a title. There's a shift. It goes from Master to Lord. So there is this differentiation. There's something different about Jesus. But in verse 9, he says, For he and all who were with him were astonished at the large catch of fish that they had taken. And also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to the land, they left everything and followed him. That's the point of the story. That's the point of the story. There's no indication here that Peter called... James and John, and everyone connected with him to help him bear the burden of the blessing that he had received. It doesn't even say they sold the fish. It doesn't say that they, they celebrated that Jesus had done this thing for them. It doesn't, I mean, I mean, if you think about it, within their profession, the fact that they would have caught so much actually would have been a big deal. And it would have been like, wow, look what Jesus did. Like, this is amazing. We're rich. They, they're not concerned about any of that. They're concerned about the fact, like, this happened, this man did it. We're following him. We're leaving everything. It's not we're set for the rest of our lives or hey, we were given this huge blessing. It's like I don't know who this dude is, but he is I'm I'm leaving this behind and following him. That's what I'm doing. Everything that he's saying can 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 be I don't know if refuted is the right word, but addressed with just what the scripture says. And the only way that, that he can maybe, I don't know if get away with it is the right phrase that I want to use here, but the only way that he can say what he's saying is if he has, again, like he said at the beginning, like, does he have some secret knowledge about this text, this deeper knowledge that we're just unaware of and he's the only one that has access to? Like, is that what's happening? Because if that's what's happening, we have a much bigger problem. I don't think that's what's going on, uh, but if if that's the claim... Or if that's the assumption here, we have a much bigger issue to deal with. But I think just in general, he's just reading into the text things that aren't there to make a point. And again, as I I say in so many of these sermon reviews, it's not that the point he's making is bad the principle that he's propone, uh, promoting is actually pretty good the people that you are around are should be around and share within the same like goal as you they should be following Jesus as you and they are there to really i mean the the the, the local church is there to help bear burdens to celebrate with you to mourn with you to be your family right that's the point that's what you you should that's that, that's a good thing that you should seek is a local church that does that but that's not in this text. That's not, the, that's not the point of the text. So I just think sometimes we get so caught up on really good principles that we allow pastors to read really good principles into passages and somehow be like, well, it's in the Bible. Eh, not in this passage, it's not. That's not the point of the passage. We have passages that talk about the local body. We have passages that talk about, you know, uh, Christian family. Uh, we have passages that talk about, you know, bearing each other's burdens. We have those passages. Why, why force a round wooden peg into a square hole here? Why? why, what's, why? what's the purpose of this? It's not what it says. In fact, the message of this text is far more powerful than surround yourself with with uh, good partners. The message of this text is that Jesus is more than you think He is. Let's keep going.
1: It was, listen to me, it was not judgment that made Peter weep. It was not the harshness of God that made Peter tremble. It was not the judgment of God that made him repent. It was a boat full, I feel the Holy Ghost here. It was a boat full of fish flopping all over his feet that made him say, surely you are the son of the living God. I'm telling you, God blew the mind.
0: He says that later in the gospels. He does not say this here. I'm
1: the- you hear me god is gonna blow your mind in 2023 somebody better hear me you're tired of fishing in your own power you're tired of raising children in your own power you're tired of trying to run a business under number whole in your own strength the master is about to give you one word if you'll run with the word god's about to bless you everybody connected to you slap somebody tell them you're about to be glad we're partners yes you have a part in what god is getting ready to do in my
0: life here's one thing i want to draw out from this and this isn't just uh wallace here now there is a good number of people like in the back couple rows that aren't necessarily like into it into it they're just kind of listening um the front rows there though. If you look in the front, there's a lot of people that are like into it, they're getting up, they're excited, they're 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 very much and again, you hear this, I know they'll be like, "Well, you think emotionalism is bad." I don't think emotionalism is bad. I just think you need to get emotional about the right stuff. This isn't what the text says at all.
1: I have a part in what God is about to do in your life. It- was a little blessing. I would go sit down and teach a lesson, but this ain't a little blessing. God is about to bless you. Good man. Yeah. Press down, shaking together. Touch somebody, tell them, get ready, get ready, get ready. So why? I'm sorry. I gotta answer this question before I leave you. But I have a question, why? Oh, go ahead and take it all, sweet lady. Somebody ought to help her praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Yeah, let's just go ahead and do it real quick. A 20 second praise break for what's on. What's on the way? Yes. You say, Pastor, I've been asking him for this. I wanna tell you what he told me to tell you. To ask for, but he's going to do abundantly above all oh, oh, you can ask or think according to the power.
0: Oh. Okay, so I get it. Like, if you're watching the video version, my face is a little like skeptical. Here's the thing. I'm not going to say that the um how do how do I word this? Um there there if you read um Paul's writings, I guess specifically to the Corinthian church. If you read the writings of um the church fathers, uh the apostolic fathers within the first couple hundred years of the early church. Again, not that they're, I mean, Paul's right on everything, but not that the, you know, those that wrote after, you know, know, within the first couple hundred years are necessarily right. They're not inspired. But what we see, just a general principle, I guess, is that there is this reverence. There's a reverence within that writing toward how you hold service and um, what you do within that service. Like there there's there's a particular particularity, I'm not saying that word right, about how you do service. And it was very much focused, especially if you read Justin Martyr around 155, I think it was, where he writes sort of like what a church service looked like in like, you know, the mid one one fifties. There is a heavy emphasis on prayer. There is a heavy emphasis on reading the scriptures. Um and there's a heavy emphasis on the Lord's Supper. Um, and yeah, there's a lot of details we could talk about, especially with the Eucharist there in regards to early church, but it's not what this is about. But the idea is that there's a reverence to it. Paul actually says when uh, to the Corinthians, you know, if somebody comes into your service and they're looking around, they're should they shouldn't think that you're a bunch of crazy people. <laughs> right? And I'm not saying that these people in this church are acting like a bunch of crazy people. I'm just saying like... There is, there, there is a difference between reverence toward the Lord and, and praising the Lord, surely. But what they seem to be praising the Lord for isn't their salvation. They seem to be praising the Lord for the, the, what he just said, the blessing that's coming, right? So you're sort of like pre thanking the Lord. And it's not that the blessing isn't necessarily going to come. Like the reality is that God is good to his people, like way better to us than we, we deserve, way, way, way better, uh, far and abundantly better, like past salvation, just the things that he allows us to experience and gives us are amazing. But the blessing isn't all that there is to being a believer. There will be years, maybe decades, where you don't have any like tangible blessings in your life. And what do you do then? It's not that the Lord loves you any less or that you didn't mind the Lord because your blessing is waiting over here for you to come get it. It's just that there's there's a point sometimes in one's life where like he grows you where you're at without the blessing. Like it's not. And I, I guess that's my point when we're looking at Luke 5 here. When you make Luke 5 all about the fish and as many fish as you could ever imagine in the blessing of the fish and not about the fact that Jesus is Lord, then you get really confused about the fact that what if the blessing doesn't come? Because you think Luke five is about the blessing of the fish when it's not about the blessing of the fish. It's about you reckon Peter, recognizing that Jesus is more than just a teacher. And if you read Luke five as look at all the blessing and not Jesus is more than just a teacher, then when you don't receive blessing, you think there's something wrong. When in reality, the whole point is Jesus is more than just a teacher, He's the Lord. And you may not understand what that means all the way, but he is different. Let's get back to it. I gotta go. What's this? What's this? He gets
1: the fish in, and it's all going everywhere. And he calls for his partners. and don't call for nobody. Don't call for nobody. In your season of blessing, who wasn't with you. I'ma come over here and teach this part. Don't call for nobody in your season of blessing that didn't stick with you when you caught nothing the night before. Hey,
0: I'm just- that's not a principle in the scripture at all.
1: Ready to see a miracle and the same folk that caught nothing. Lord, I, got, I can't touch that one. I got to go on that one. He, he says, he says, he falls down and was astonished, mind blown. And then I missed this all these years I've been preaching this text. I missed this. He looked at Peter and said, from now on, my god he said from now on from this moment forward you're not gonna just catch fish but you're gonna catch men in other words i let this whole thing happen so that you could see that what works in the fishing of fish is gonna work in the fishing of men lord i feel like preaching here he said peter you're about mm, you're about to move From catching living fish that you watch die to catching dead men that you watch come to life. Oh, Lord! I gotta holler about that. That God said.
0: Okay, so that's a nice line, and it's not wrong. It's not there, but that's a nice line. I'll give him that. That's a solid. That's a solid slogan. I mean, it's not there. But it's a solid slogan. And it can be, it's not totally not true of the text, but it's definitely derived from the text. That's a nice slogan. That's a nice slogan. I'll give them, like, can't lie. Can't lie. That's a good slogan. <coughs> your
1: life you've been catching living fish and you've been watching them die but for the rest of your life you're gonna catch dead men and you're gonna watch them live. Look at somebody tell them increase increase my spiritual capacity. Let me understand that the success I have in the world will never become greater than the success I'm getting ready to see in the kingdom. I gotta go here i gotta go here so he got this boat full of fish and he had to count some help and
0: they got so i still want to go back to the fact that we're still talking about uh increase of spiritual blessing and not the miracle that jesus saves us from our sins like he touched on it for like a split second there uh, about you know dead uh live fish dying and dead men living like he like he tapped on it but there's a whole lot more there than that we should be talking about, other than spiritual increase, unless he's referring to spiritual increase as salvation of sinners. Uh, but there's a much clearer way to talk about that if you're going to talk about that. Um, and then we went right back to increase, blessing and increase. How these are catching all these fish?
1: And when the day of Pentecost had fully come. They were all in one man they were all in one accord and it wasn't a honda and they were all in one place and suddenly 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 there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind and the cloven tongues of fire sat up on each of them and they all began to speak with tongues as the holy ghost gave them utterance the bible said that peter stood up when they started saying they looked like drunk men it was Peter the same one who launched out into the deep the same one whose boat got full of fish the same one who almost sank in the blessing of God that man saw the whole multitude everybody was wondering what was going on and they said these men are drunk and Peter said, oh no, these men are not drunk and I preach like a fillet today, as you suppose. But this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last day, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And he kept on preaching until all the fish sitting at the pool that day looked at Peter and said, what do we do? He said, I know what to do. I remember how he filled the boat in Luke 5 and he he preached to them a salvation message and it wasn't two tons of fish that jumped in the boat it was 3,000 men that came out of death yeah yeah Slap your neighbor, and tell him we're getting ready to go fishing. We're getting ready to go fishing. This is the year of increase. This is the year of abundance. This is the increase.
0: <laughs> so now here's here's my question, then, because this gets. So he, he connected Acts 2, which is fine. Like Peter goes forth and preaches, you know, he got the Holy Spirit. He goes forth and preaches a bold message of Jesus' life, death, resurrection, spirit poured out, and there's an increase in regards to those that come into the kingdom that day. Now, so is is what he's saying then is that this is the year that many souls are saved and many people come to know Christ. Is that what he's saying? Because all of the blessings he's talked about before and the increase he's talked about before have been related to... um, things in people's lives. Very ambiguous. I mean, he did sort of point to like specifics in regards to sins, right? Like habitual sins is sort of what he seemed to be alluding to. Um, So is he talking about, is he talking about monetary blessing? Is he talking about freedom from sin in individuals' lives? Is he talking about sinners coming to a saving knowledge of Jesus? Is he throwing all of those in the bucket of blessing? Like this is so ambiguous now that like, I'm just not even sure what he's talking about. Right. I mean, because he's he's sort of mentioned all three, but he hasn't outright said any of them. So what's he talking about? Like, is it all three? Is it these individual things? Is spiritual increase salvations? Like, what is it like he does? not He hasn't said. And that's where it's like, if it's all three. okay like yes that's every year like unless he's declaring some sort of like magical year and not magical but some blessing in 223 where god just really pours out um his spirit in whatever town they're in and a lot of people come to know the lord because of you know all of these individuals going out and testifying about the goodness of god like is that what he's talking about like one of the issues i have with charismatics which is it's fine whatever. They got issues with me, I'm sure. Is that th- this is incredibly ambiguous. We're not being specific about what we're talking about here. And as such, like it's kind of like okay, like what? Be specific then. Like anyway, this is this is a very long sermon rewrite get it. Let's keep going.
1: Stand my mouth through preaching. I dare you. Woo-hoo! I dare you to see every indication of success God's ever given you in anything as a pre-announcement of the greater success that's coming in your spiritual walk. If you thought the business being blessed was the greatest thing, you missed the kingdom. It was never about the fish. It's never about the money. It's never about the job. It's never about the increase of stuff. It's all given so that your mind can be stretched out of a place of limitation, out of Hashaya into a place of expectation for more. I want you to shake hands with seven people in your zip code and tell them, I declare, God is increasing your spiritual
0: capacity. So there, he says, it's not about the physical blessing. It's about everything that God's stretching you to understand that he's bigger than you think he is. Yes? Like, that's not untrue. And that kind of Luke 5? But, like, we went in a really roundabout way to get there, I guess, is my point. Let's see how he ends it. Yeah, shake hands with seven of
1: them and tell them this year. This is the year. Yes, this is the year where God is not just gonna fill your boat with fish. God is gonna empty hell of its authority and save dying men and give them eternal I the power of God. Dying men are gonna find eternal life. Dying women are gonna come out of sex trafficking. my soul I felt that in my soul dying women are coming out of sex trafficking and they're coming into them I need somebody to dance I need somebody to shout hey!
0: Go- okay. Just, I'm sorry. Whenever we brought the electric out, like the, the club beat, that really got me. So, um, wow, there's a lot here, guys. There's a lot here. So, <laughs> okay, so yes, the nice thing here is that like the very tail end, he's bringing in the reality that Jesus, it's not about the physical blessings. It's about God using the physical blessings to help you understand that there's more than just the physical blessings. There's a salvation uh, that can be brought about by him and that we should, we should rejoice in the reality that dead men and women are being brought to life. So amen, 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 amen. Yes. Agree with that in regards to we should celebrate when dead men and women are brought to life. Amen. Um, and he, and that is worth celebrating. I don't know if I'm bringing in the music, but whatever. That's I, I, we could discuss that at a later date, I suppose. But um, it's just, I think that entire message gets so like lost in how we just kind of read so much into Luke five. I, I just think there's a better way to, to work through like Luke five than what we did. And I I know you guys are, it's a, it's an hour and 45 minutes into the sermon review. Thank you. If you've made it this far, if you have, make sure you leave in the comments. I made it this far. And if you're exhausted, make sure you let me know that as well. I know some of these longer sermon reviews can be, um, can be (laughs) taxing on you. So we're almost done. We're almost done. We're going to do apparently a little praise the Lord dance party for sinners being saved. And then we're going to end it.
1: We're all the sisters who can dance like Deborah Dance. Shout like Miriam Shout.
0: I simply cannot wait for this prophetic word. Did you hear what Devin said
1: when she introduced Choices and Willow Bend Farm and all of our other? I didn't even put it together, y'all. But God was prophesying that the blessing coming on us is getting ready to get on them. Hey choices, God's got you covered. Willow Bend, God's got you covered. Yeah! Take 20 more seconds and praise God for the increase.
0: Like, I don't want you to get, like, misunderstand. Like, I'm not, like, I, I don't want to be overcritical here. Like, the, the it's pretty cool that people are praising the Lord for the good things that he's done for them. Like, salvation being the primary one, I hope that's why they're doing what they're doing here. And not praising as some sort of way to get God to do them things. Like, I hope that's, I really hope that's been made clear to them. I don't know it that it has, but I hope that they understand that they're praising God for their salvation and not praising God. So they get good things from God. I really hope they understand that, but the ministries that this church is partnered with, like are from what I understood from watching a little bit of beforehand to kind of try to key this up to start the sermon part. Like they're good ministries in regards to helping people that are in great need. Like, and what he's talking about, Hey, you're going to, these ministries are going to prosper as this church prospers. That's a good thing, right? The local church should be helping, um, parachurch ministries that are doing the work and being the hands and feet of Jesus out in the world and giving, you know, feeding volunteers to them to help them with that mission. It's a good thing. It's a good thing. <sighs> Apparently we have 20 more seconds of this praise break. I, I I, genuinely want to get to the end of this sermon so I can fully assess it and not just break it off here because this isn't my church tradition. <laughs> so this is a bit odd for me, but let's, let's, let's let him finish. <laughs>
1: More shot of praise. Come on. Listen. I need to tell you this before I pray. I, I love you, Seth.
0: Hey. Man, we just like switched from party mode to prayer time like that.
1: Hey, I'm trying. I'm trying. Just got a picture of nets that are overflowing with blessing and increase. Somebody take 20 more seconds and give God praise. I feel an overflow anointing getting on us.
0: To be fair, I can totally understand that if you come from a service like this and you get into a church um, that's more like high church tradition, you are definitely going to think that church is dead because like you're used to this. My encouragement to you, if that is you, like I understand that like we make judgments like cross denominationally. I've made a little few I've made a few here clearly. I am trying to I, again I, I the same this isn't how my church would do it but I totally understand that this is maybe how your church does it in regards to praising God for what he's done. No shade. But I would say as well like if you come into a, a higher church tradition you don't judge them for not doing this, right? Like I don't know. There's I I I think so. That's not what this is about. So let's let's keep going. Let's let him finish and then we'll in fact I we'll finish here. I'll be honest with you. Let's just finish here. There's there I don't see there's a whole lot left in that service that necessarily we need to watch to make the clarification. So the first thing is this Did he read the text? Yes, he did. He definitely read the text. He read a couple of texts. Did he use culture and context to exegete from that text and give application? Uh, he did give a little bit of context in regards to uh, definitely the boat size, that sort of thing. I think that's about as much context as we actually got. Um, the rest of it, I would contend, and I think I have contended, that he read into the text rather than out of the text. Um, things that, um, he, he kinda got to the main point at the very end, but it was so like, I I honestly think a lot, of, I think it got lost in, in everything else. It, the whole main point. I think he got lost in everything else. And the last thing that he mentioned, the gospel of Jesus Christ sort of kind of like, I'd say no. Overall, he does talk about dead men and women coming to life. Uh, he does talk a bit about salvation. Uh, he doesn't sort of unpack it so much. Um, but he does mention it a bit, but I'd say overall, no, by the, by the definition that I use to gauge that, um, no. Now, no shade to him, in, in case this is your first sermon review, not a lot of people hit that mark. Um, so just, I mean, that's just the reality of it. A lot of people don't include in their sermon a full workout of the gospel, which I think we should. I have a sermon review that I did on myself, and I missed it, and I'm the one that does these sermon reviews. So there's that. So anyway, that was incredibly interesting. Um, I, I Again, uh, let me reiterate what I said during, in case you missed it, just to sum it up. I think his handling of Luke five is very poor. I, I just think it's bad. I think his handling of 2 Corinthians six was pretty decent though. So we had a nugget in the middle that was really, really good um, that I think is very applicable and was a correct exegetically working of the text. The Luke five thing though, his main text was just not, I, I think it was butchered to be, to be honest with you. A lot was read in there that didn't need to be read in there. But anyway, that that is just my opinion. As always, I'd be interested in yours. Let me know in the comment section below if you think I was too harsh, wasn't harsh enough, that I misread it, if whatever. Like, I welcome the comments. I don't get to get down there and comment back a lot, but I do read them. So go ahead and comment below what you think about my uh, my assessment as well as his message overall. And if you did like it and found this helpful, please click that like button. That really helps us out as far as the algorithm goes, getting more people to see this. And hopefully starting conversations and helping them as well. And if you do appreciate this sort of content, as always, make sure you hit the subscribe button.